Welcome, Sports Squire community, to the weekly Quick Clip Recap. Today's recap comes from the 19th episode of Sports Squire, Intro to Athletic Development Principles, and we teased out the eighth principle, which typically is labeled injury prevention. But for the sake of the show, I, I explain the verbiage and the importance of labeling these as injury reduction programs, and we'll explain in more detail in today's bite to give you a little bit more information on the difference between the two. As we push forward to this Thursday's full-length segment, we will be uh, piggybacking off of last week's deep dive into the assessment of pitching of the pitching cycle. And this week's episode will be a part two series that's focused around implementation strategies and interventions associated specifically with addressing any type of concerns that you find or label with any within one of any of those six phases of the pitching cycle. So make sure you tune in for that episode. We'll also be labeling and and going through some generalized principles in order to help your pitching athletes become a little bit more powerful and gain a better appreciation and need for all the different ranges that they need to get into and the strength and power they need to get into. Enjoy this week's quick clip recap. The eighth athletic development principle that I've highlighted is one that, you know, I'm extremely passionate about. Obviously, from the rehabilitation side, there's a lot of talk around injury prevention, and I I really dislike the term injury prevention. I think through the years, there's been some language and some verbiage change, and I really, you know, like the the phrase of injury reduction programs, um, because when you look at science, you look at, you know, some of the models that we have out of theory, we can't necessarily predict whether or not we're going to be preventing injuries um, in, in some athletes. Some athletes, you know, from an intrinsic standpoint, from an environmental standpoint, there's a lot of different multitude of things and factors that can play into uh, what may get them injured. And we can't necessarily prevent or even, you know, account for all of those different, you know, multifactorial things that can cause those injuries. But what we can account for is the science that shows uh, the biomechanics, the loading patterns, the, um, you know, the training. You know, if you've got someone who is not consistently training and uh, they're not consistently, you know, practicing good recovery, then that's going to predictably give us better indicators of what their injury risk is. And from those components, then we can attack those theories and those concepts, and that can really help from an injury reduction uh, standpoint. And the thing that I love most, you know, throughout my time, you know, as a physical therapist, you'll see some of these athletes that come in and they have, you know, a, a, an injury and they'll recover from that injury. And what's cool to see is in some of them, they are working certain movements and and muscle groups and synergies that they've never worked before that have never been kind of brought to their attention in regards to multiplanar movements. So for some, they come out you know, more of a comprehensive athlete because their movement patterns are so much better because we're having to refine and train through those injuries that, you know, they almost get out of this, uh, this, this injury. And it also, you know, helps to reduce their future injuries. And, you know, this may be a good or a bad example, but, you know, Adrian Peterson, you know, complete freak came back six months after his ACL tear, which is unheard of. Um, you know, at that, that, that rate. 
And, uh, you know, there's just story after story about what his rehab was like. And he was spending, you know, seven, eight hours a day, you know, rehabbing and doing certain things. And, you know, the next year he became the second most single season rushing uh, yards recipient in the NFL history. And, you know, you got to think about, you know, why after six months of a devastating ACL injury, does he have one of the best seasons of his career? And a lot of that, in my opinion, is the fact that he worked so hard and had so much repetition, had so much science, had so much, um, you know, he had a whole team of, of people involved. You know, a lot of us don't have the, um, you know, the support or the resources to be able to do that. But the cool thing from an anecdotal perspective is just looking and seeing, you know, that when you address you know, certain deficits and you repetitiously address them, you can get better. And um, so from from my point is with a lot of this, from the injury prevention standpoint, you know, when, when you look at some of the predictive models, you know, me being, you know, a college basketball player, sprained ankles are very common. And I think, you know, in, in the world of orthopedics, in the world of uh, physical therapy, rehab, athletic training, in my opinion, at ankle sprains are the most uh, under-evaluated, under-concerned type of injuries out there because everybody just says, oh, you're going to recover. You're going to be fine. But, you know, what people don't understand is that when you suffer an ankle sprain, you tend to lose that dorsiflexion, which is moving your ankle up, which is extremely imperative in loading patterns when it comes to running, jumping, cutting, decelerating, doing different athletic type ground-based movements. And if you can't get that mobility and that strength back in that ankle, that can really affect the altered biomechanics up and down the chain, up the chain. So basically your knee and your hip can now be altered at the timing of which they fire. If you're not achieving a certain, you know, angle of uh, range of motion within that ankle. So what I love to do is I love to look at specific sports like basketball, and I like to look at the injury incident rates, and I want to look and see what is the injury incident rates for ACL tears. We know, you know, the ACL tears, a lot of times they're non-contact type, uh, you know, tears. You know, they're not somebody where they're blowing and hitting from the outside and blowing that knee out, even though you do see those from time to time. It's mostly non-contact, um, you know, someone you know, outside of their base support, the knee gives in, the ligament, you know, is disrupted and it, and it tears. And so f- from that perspective, what we do know is that the mechanism of action um, is typically a mistiming of the quadricep muscle um, and the hamstrings. And so what we want to be able to train is that co-contraction, the landing patterns, um, the deceleration, because it's really the stopping and the absorption where most of these injuries do happen. Um, So, you know, from a landing perspective, we can predict that if I can work more on landing and lengthening and controlling motion in a neutral plane between the, the hip, the knee, and the ankle, then I know that I can reduce that athlete's incident of injury because of the fact that I know specifically what that mechanism of action for that injury is. That doesn't mean that you can prevent all of them. You know, as you get into reaction sports, there's things that happen. You get outside of that base of support. But if we get into the the point where, you know, we're conditioning you and we've got that force reduction plan 
of, of the phases of movement that we're looking at. We're making you a more efficient runner. We're getting your hips, your knees, and ankle in line when you're driving through the ground. When we're working on speed development and, and quality control, that can make a huge difference. So um, the same thing goes with, you know, Major League Baseball pitchers, high school baseball pitchers, collegiate pitchers. You know, when you look at um, the pitching motion, there has been so much research done on the mechanics of, of looking at from wind-up to early cock phase to late cocking phase to the deceleration phase and what muscle groups are heightened during that time, which ones are vulnerable, and which ones need to be trained. And the cool thing about uh, you know pitching is it's obviously a whole-body motion. You know It starts at the ground. You push through the ground, you finish at the ground, and then the arm follows. Um, but, you know, for that reduction program, we really want to look at, you know, a full arc of range of motion of that shoulder. Make sure they have kind of this delicate balance between uh, mobility and stability. It's really one of those, uh, those type of motions that's very uh, not normal. It's very abnormal. Uh, so from a reduction standpoint, you know, we know that, you know, if you look at like a Steven Strasberg, you know, I love doing this analysis and I've taught... Um, education course to physical therapists for the last several years. And, and I've got a course that I wrote that basically compares Steven Strasberg to Justin Verlander. And they're both, you know, they at least they were, don't quote me on this now, both were high 90s, 100-mile-an-hour fastball guys. You had Strasburg, number one overall pick, and had Tommy John early on in his surgery. And Verlander's been known as a guy that's been extremely healthy throughout his career and when you look and you break down their mechanics, it's amazing to see uh, the difference. And, and we talk about an inverted W, we know, when you look at pitchers. And when you, when you basically have your, your glove on your left hand and you're pulling the glove or pulling the ball out of your glove, it creates this inversion, this internal rotation, which allows your, uh, your arm to essentially get behind in your windup and it allows it to be lagging. And therefore, towards the end of your, your release, um, there's more of what we call a valgus force on that elbow because of the, the arc that they, that pitcher has to go through, as opposed to Strasburg. Or so that was Strasburg pulling it out, that inverted W, but as, as opposed to Verlander, who pulls the ball out of his glove um, and brings his shoulder blade down and in. He's setting that, that scapular retraction and downward rotation and then he's setting that ball up and, and setting it up to be able to, to keep his shoulder, you know, in line with his hip to be able to, to produce that force through the ground and let the, let the force between his legs and his trunk really do a lot of the work as opposed to his arm. So those are very predictable injury reduction type strategies that we can use. And I'm really looking forward as we get into this part series. I keep saying this again. Today is just an introduction it's an overview of, of philosophies and principles that I want you all to really understand that play into athletic development. But as we get into specific sports, there's very specific sport biomechanics that we can teach to, we can wrap our minds around that can really help athletes reduce their injuries and also increase their performance at the same time. So something I've really enjoyed over the years is, is looking at that correlation between those two things it's just amazing. Again, that quick clip recap comes from the 19th episode, Intro to Athletic Development Principles. Highly encourage you to go back to listen to that if you haven't already. 
And I want to uh, encourage all of you to tune in this Thursday, as we've talked about, to not miss the intervention strategies surrounding the follow-up from our assessment of the pitching cycle that we did last week. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you Thursday. Thank you for listening to the Sports Squire podcast. Check out the show notes for anything you missed during today's episode. Click subscribe if you haven't already to ensure you get updates on the latest Sports Squire episodes. And remember, as a Sports Squire, your greatest self is found at the intersection of knowledge and action. Don't be normal, be a Sports Squire.